a 14-year-old boy goes missing from a county fair in 1984. Did he run away or suffer a much darker fate? Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is our third episode of the KMH Podcast. With you, as always, is Brad. Today, we're going to talk about the missing persons case of Jeremy Donald Bright. He was a 14-year-old from Myrtle Point, Oregon, who went missing at the county fair on August 14th, 1986, and was never seen again. But let's jump right into it. Jeremy would spend at least a couple weeks each year in Coos County after his mother and stepfather divorced, as he loved the Coos County Fair. His mother was scheduled to pick him and his sister, S-T, spelled S-apostrophe-T-E, who is nine years old, up from Myrtle Point on August 16th. Indeed, on August 13th, Jeremy called his mom to make sure she was still planning on coming on the 16th. Jeremy spent all day on the 13th with his best friend Johnny at the fair. And around 9.40, he finally left, walked over to a local tavern that was owned by his grandmother, found his stepfather there, and hit him up for some money so he could attend the fair again the next day. When Jeremy returned on the 14th, this time he brought along his little sister. Jeremy and Esty went, went their separate ways around 2 p.m. They had plans that they were going to meet back at the Ferris wheel around 5 o'clock. ST showed up around 5 and waited and waited and waited, and Jeremy never showed. ST had to walk back to their stepfather's house on her own. Later, when she was questioned, she, she would mention that she saw Jeremy speaking with two men or older teenagers who were trying to make Jeremy leave the fair. ST said she did not recognize the two men or boys. When Jeremy's mom, Diane... Arrived on August 16th, she was shocked to learn that nobody had seen Jeremy since the 14th. She went around town asking questions, but no one had seen him. As night fell, she called the police, but the officer who answered said, Oh, he's a kid. He's at the fair. Don't worry about it. Once the fair leaves town, I'm sure he'll show up. The police were con immediately convinced that Jeremy had just run away, despite not having any evidence to point in that direction. Of course, Diane didn't like this answer. First of all, Jeremy wasn't the sort to just run away. Uh, he was very protective of his sister. He wouldn't just leave without saying goodbye, and he certainly wouldn't let her walk home alone from the fair in the manner that he did. He was also very excited about starting high school. He was an excellent basketball player and was really hoping to make the high school basketball team. He also served as the coach of Estes' basketball team. Frustrated with the police, Diane started her own search immediately. The fair left town a few days later. Still no Jeremy. There were a few reported, of, reported sightings of Jeremy as late as August 17th, but nothing concrete. And to this day, no trace of the young man has ever been found. There are a lot of facts that we need to cover that don't fit nicely into our narrative thus far, so we're just going to shotgun this one, baby. Police searched numerous wells in the area based on an anonymous tip, but found nothing. 
one person reported to police that a Jeremy Bright was working for a circus in Florida. Police checked, and indeed he was. But it was a different Jeremy Bright. It was a grown man from Colorado who just happened to have the same name. Police are still working on this case. As late as October 2016, they drained a private pond to see if Jeremy was there based off of a tip. Again, found nothing. Some people have pointed to the unusual number of deaths in the Bright family that occurred after Jeremy's disappearance, but I don't see a whole lot of connection. For example, Jeremy's stepfather died in 2003. His biological father died in 2008. His grandmother that owned the tavern died in 1988. His best friend Johnny passed away in January 2011. Four of Jeremy's friends from school that were close died in a car accident in 1988. This is all unfortunate, but again, we don't have any evidence tying these deaths to Jeremy in any way whatsoever. Now, Johnny, Jeremy's best friend, deserves a special mention because things went south in his life after Jeremy disappeared. The night Jeremy disappeared, Johnny was spending the night at a friend's house. And when he arrived that evening, he was obviously very distraught over something. But nobody, including his parents, could make him talk about it. Eventually, Johnny turned to drugs and alcohol to deal with whatever was bothering him. Then, unfortunately, again, Jeremy, I'm sorry, Johnny goes from being an alcoholic to having severe mental breakdowns. He becomes very anxious and paranoid and ends up being homeless. Now, the police did question Johnny multiple times before he died about Jeremy's disappearance. And the best they got out of him is he remembers part of the night at the fair, but he blacks out past that point. There are lots of internet rumors that Johnny was present when Jeremy was killed, assuming Jeremy was killed, and it was told that both he and his family would be killed if he ever told anyone about what happened to Jeremy. And so that's being used as the basis for his mental breakdown. Now, when I first reviewed this case, I questioned why Jeremy's stepfather never contacted the police. Again, Jeremy was missing from the 14th through the 16th when his mom arrived, and yet his stepfather never called the police or do a search of his own. But it turns out that his stepfather worked as a logger, and that would mean he'd have to get up and leave the house by 3 or 4 a.m. each day. So he wouldn't have noticed if Jeremy not being there unless he specifically went to check. Further, this was summertime in the 80s, Kids were bounced back and forth between their friends' houses all the time. So really, it wasn't unusual for Jeremy not to be at home. You know, you wouldn't see your kid for a day or two, and that was just normal. If you're into it, watch Stranger Things. That may jog your memories as to what life was like in the 80s, and that's kind of what we have going on here. You know, he had his group of friends, and they, he just bounced around between them, and he may not be home for dinner, and you didn't worry about it back then. Now, one interesting thing I found was ST recently participated in a message board discussion about her older brother's disappearance. If you go into Google and type in sitcoms online Jeremy Bright, it was the first result that came up for me. She expressed her belief that Jeremy was dead 
SD also stated that she believed Terry and David Steinhoff, who we will speak to in a minute, were the ones that caused his disappearance. But there was never enough evidence gathered to charge them formally. She also noted that at that time in Myrtle Point, it's a very remote part of Oregon, and there was lots of nefarious characters who used it as an area to produce drugs that would be distributed throughout the country. She thought that the Steinhoff family was involved in this. She claimed the Myrtle Point Police Department were also in these drug dealers, drug creators, whatever their proper term. I don't, I don't know the hierarchy in the cartels as well as I should, but for the, the, the engineers of the group, she thought that uh, they had the police on their payroll. She claims that it wasn't unheard of for people to just go missing when they stumbled across a drug operation, including cops. And ST was exceptionally critical of the Murder Point Police Department. One thing she fills in that we don't, that I couldn't find otherwise, is not only would they refuse to search for Jeremy while the fair was in town, once the fair left and Diane, Jeremy's mother, went back to the police. They told her that she'd have to wait 72 hours before they would accept a missing persons report from them, from her. So we essentially have the police not doing a daggum thing for a week. We can only imagine how this case could have turned out differently if the police had gotten off their butts and gone out there and searched for Jeremy how they should have. This sort of delay is, is criminal in my opinion. There's no reason you should wait so long. We also had Diane join in this message board conversation. She didn't add much, but she was exceptionally complimentary of the Coos County Sheriff's Department because she said that every time there was a tip, they followed up on it. They were the ones that drained the pond in 2016. So here we are 30, 40 years after the kid goes missing, and they're still working hard to find them. Now, there seems to be a few theories that are prominent about Jeremy's disappearance. I would say there's kind of three big ones. The first one is he drank a spiked drink that led to his demise. Apparently, there was lots of parties going on in Myrtle Point that night. It was rumored Jeremy snuck off to one of them, drank a beer that had been laced with an illegal drug, and that caused him to die, either through an overdose or... Jeremy had a heart condition, could have affected his reaction to the drug. Then, after he died, all the partygoers banded together and disposed of the body so they wouldn't get in trouble with the law. Personally, I don't buy this one at all. Uh, to quote Benjamin Franklin, three can keep a secret as long as two are dead. We have no information on the party. We don't know if this was a small group of friends getting together or if it was an absolute rager. If it was a small group, it'd be odd that you would drug somebody in that group unless you're playing a really, really stupid prank. If it's a rager, I think it's also unlikely that something like this would happen because if Jeremy... I think it's more likely for him to encounter a spiked drink at a rager, but if he suffered an adverse reaction... I cannot imagine that you could have dozens of teenagers band together to dispose of a body and not a single one of them tell their parents or the police. I, I just think this theory is absolute hogwash. 
we will not waste our precious time on this one any further. The next big theory about what happened to Jeremy was that he was the victim of an unintended homicide when he left the fair. This tip was submitted by an anonymous inmate. Now, one thing to keep in mind about inmates submitting tips is they have a lot of incentive to try to help solve crimes once they've been convicted because they can use that as a negotiating chip to try to get a better sentence. They can use that as a negotiating chip when they go before the parole board. They can use it just merely to be able to have better privileges in jail. And if nothing else, if they say, hey, I know where a body's buried, a lot of times the cops will take him out and let him show him. If this is true that it came from an inmate, he may have just been looking for a day outside of his cage. But regardless, his story goes that Jeremy was caught up in a fight at a local swimming hole and received an accidental gunshot wound. The people involved allegedly freaked out took Jeremy to a cabin that was about 10 miles outside of town and tried their best to nurse him back to health on their own. Shockingly, this failed, and Jeremy died. They buried him in a shallow grave just outside of the cabin. Police found the cabin described by the inmate, but found nobody anywhere nearby and found no evidence that Jeremy had ever been there. There, you'll see two different versions of this theory floating around. The first is that Jeremy went there alone. The second one is that he went there with some friends. This one could be plausible, but I don't think it's likely. It involves him willingly leaving the fair and abandoning a sister, which isn't in his character. If he's pulled off to a remote location like a swimming hole, which, by the way, I just got to say, I love the fact that swimming hole isn't just a southern term. I thought it was. But apparently, there's swimming holes in Oregon. I assume across this great land, we got swimming holes everywhere. So, yay, America. If Jeremy was led off to one of these swimming holes, I don't know what sort of incident would have occurred that would cause him to get shot. You don't show up to a swimming hole with a gun, generally. I mean, you bring as little as possible because you're going to be swimming. Maybe the story was more along the lines of Jeremy got persuaded to leave and go to just a remote location. I could put together a theory where the Steinhoffs, who were talking about the next theory, the Steinhoffs lead them away, show them this cool new gun that they got. Something bad happened. They react poorly, and Jeremy loses his life. Plus, if there's friends there, yeah, they're going to say something, unless the only friend here is Johnny, who suffered the breakdown over the situation. So I think it's easy to poke holes in this theory. It's definitely plausible, but it's not the one that I buy. It's theory three that I think carries the most water. And that involves the Steinhoffs. All right, so the Steinhoffs are a family in town that are just bad news. I think I remember reading that Myrtle Point had a, res had a population of two to 3,000. And the Steinhoffs were the bad dudes in town. They were the, your stereotypical 80s villain that you see in every teen movie, you know. Terry Steinhoff is always the focus of this theory. 
He was the son of a guy that was fairly notorious in town for being a problem. May have been involved with some of the drug dealings. Interestingly, though, Terry was at one time Jeremy and Esty's babysitter. So I don't know if he started off a good kid and went bad or if Jeremy's parents just had poor judgment or if they were friendly with the family. I find that fact a little odd, but it's undisputed. Terry Steinhoff served as the babysitter, which would mean Jeremy has some sort of relationship with them, more so than the average teenager. There was a report made by Johnny's sister. Again, remember, Johnny's Jeremy's best friend. So Johnny's sister reports to the police that the night Jeremy goes missing, she sees David Steinhoff, who's Terry's cousin, walking into an apartment building covered in blood. When she questions him about it, he only says, I was with Terry, and then kind of shambles into an apartment, and she doesn't really understand what's going on beyond that. But the police, for whatever reason, don't take much stock in her her sighting, her tip. And so that lead's not followed up on immediately. This might not have gone anywhere except Unsolved Mysteries got a hold of the story and came to town, which, of course, made the town all sorts of excited and happy. I imagine that scene from The Simpsons, if you watch that program, where they decide to shoot a movie in Springfield and the town goes bananas. I think that's what Myrtle Point was doing when they found out that Robert Stack and his buddies were coming to, to shoot an episode concerning Jeremy. Now, in that episode, they, Unsolved Mysteries, named Terry as the prime suspect. Shortly after the episode ran, Terry was arrested. But this was for the murder of a Patricia Morris. And it was September of 1988, so about four years after Jeremy goes missing. While he was held in custody, police questioned him extensively about Jeremy. But Terry refused to cooperate. He would not say a thing. The thinking being... His sentence for the murder, it wasn't life or anything like that. He, he had an opportunity for parole, and he was concerned that if he could be tied to Jeremy's disappearance in any way, he may lose his shot at parole. Police searched his house, found nothing that tied him to Jeremy. Unfortunately, Terry died of a heroin overdose in prison in 2007 without having ever talked about Jeremy to the police. Sometimes in this series, you hear about a fellow named Hoyt Richardson. He was a buddy of Terry's. He gets thrown in as being part of the kidnapping slash murder team. But I didn't find much to support that speculation. Now, having said this, this theory still has a couple of holes in it that are hard to fill. The biggest one to me is the fact that Terry served as Jeremy and Esty's babysitter. I don't know what age range uh, we're talking about. Esty was, I believe, five years younger than Jeremy. But I would think that Esty would recognize her former babysitter. And again, her statement to the police was, Jeremy was being led away by two men she didn't recognize. Could that be... Terry's cousin David and his buddy Hoyt were the two that drug Jeremy away? Possibly. It just seems interesting that SC doesn't recognize them when there's a lot of evidence or there's a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing at Terry. 
Terry's murder of Morris was apparently a crime of passion. It arose from when he asked her out and she rejected his advances. I'm sure it's much more sordid than that, but for the purposes of this podcast, we'll keep it G-rated. He responded by attacking her with a pocket knife and ended up killing her. I think that would be very difficult to do. Pocket knives don't have 8-inch blades on them. And from what I understand, it was a pretty bloody crime scene. Now, this suggests to me that he had a very volatile and aggressive personality. So there was no planned killing of this woman. It was a, you're not going to tell me no, I'll show you what's up. Which means, if Jeremy's hanging around Terry that night at the swimming hole or wherever, I'm going to say swimming hole as much as I can because I love the fact that y'all all know what that is. If Jeremy's hanging out with Terry at the swimming hole or whatever, and Jeremy ticks off Terry, if he does have a gun or if he's got his pocket knife, maybe this ends poorly for Jeremy. Again, we've got at least one witness saying that David, Terry's cousin, who says he was with Terry, was covered in blood the night that Jeremy went missing. So we got something here, I think. I think that's where the investigation should have gone from the get-go. I don't know why Johnny's sister's testimony or statement was ignored, but I think that would have been the best chance to find out what happened to Jeremy was to get on Terry and David and maybe Hoyt. We still, again, like I said at the beginning, we still have no information on what happened to Jeremy. His body's never been found. His belongings have never been found. He's still just a missing person. Of course, the family has accepted the fact that he's likely dead. But it's nice to see at least the sheriff's office still chasing leads because I know they would love to have closure in the situation and properly put their child slash brother to rest. Now, this case also highlights something that you see in the real, real world, which is a very poorly run de- police department compared and contrasted to a well-run police department. I completely agree with ST's charges that the Merle Point PD may be corrupt. Why on earth a police officer would ever say, no, we're not going to start looking because there's a fair in town, and then follow that up with, well, we're going to make you wait an arbitrary 72 hours before we let you report the child is missing is just insulting. I I think every officer who was involved with the Myrtle Point PD back in 1984 through the mid-80s should be ashamed of themselves. Again, their inaction to me is criminal, and they deserve some culpability for what has happened to Jeremy. On the other side, the Coos County Sheriff's Office sounds like an exceptionally well-run department. They make law enforcement proud. They are doing everything they can to find this child, even when we all know the likelihood of him being alive is almost zero. But still, they're willing to go through private ponds just to see if they can find the remains. Jeremy's family is still begging for any tips, no matter how small or insignificant, that people may have. If by chance you're listening to this and you feel like you may know something, you can contact the Coos County Sheriff's Office at area code 
541-396-7800. Again, 541-396-7800. And we know they'll take your tip seriously, so you won't be wasting your time. So that ends our tale about Jeremy Bright. Missing person cases are always tough because you always want to have some sort of closure. I think as humans, we hate leaving a story without an ending. But unfortunately, that's what we've got here. The best we can do is speculate as to what happened. Again, I feel confident the Steinhoffs were involved. They murdered Jeremy, hit his body, and managed to get away with it. If they were connected to the drug trade at all, as was rumored, think how easy it would be for them to dispose of a body then. They get a truck full of product ready to ship out, throw Jeremy's body in there. He could be buried in Texas. He could be buried in Illinois. We'd never know. Police really messed up by not moving more quickly on this one. All right, well, we're done. So you know what that means. Everybody's favorite part of the show. I'm sure the only reason you sit here and listen to me muddle through these stories our infamous palate cleanser so today we have this one what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet supplies you get it supplies instead of surprise and he's 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 a janitor so he would have supplies okay well in spite of what a terrible person i am thank you for listening I hope you're enjoying this pile of mess I put out every week. If you do enjoy it, please rate this show. You know how iTunes and all these other apps work. The more stars you get, the more likely other people are to find it. And we got to make sure the entire world hears my wonderful palate cleansers every week. So if you would please give this five stars, I would appreciate it. I also want you to subscribe. I don't want you to ever miss a palate cleanser. Your life will lose meaning once you've been introduced to the palate cleanser and it's taken away. I promise this. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, or just want to tell me how much you hate listening to me, please hit us up at info at kmhpodcast.com. That is info at kmhpodcast.com. Nice and simple, right? Again, we release episodes every Tuesday, so I hope to have you check back in in a few days to hear the next tale of woe that I'll be bringing to you, but and more importantly, the next awesome palate cleanser that you can show off to your friends. If you're single, this will be a great way to win a date. Bosses will promote you. It, it will be life-changing. I, again, guaranteed life-changing. With that, I'll sign off. So cheerio from Brad.